Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest tonight, Naomi Hirahara, was born and raised in Southern California and is the author of the highly acclaimed Masurai Mystery Series, which features a Japanese-American gardener, an atomic bomb survivor who solves crimes. You don't hear that every day. The third book in the series, Snakeskin Shamisan, and I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, won the Edgar Award for Best Paperback Original in 2007, and books in the series were also translated into Japanese, Korean, and French. Naomi also penned a middle-aged grade novel, A Thousand and One Cranes, which was chosen as an honor book for the Youth Literature of the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature in 2009. She then created the Ellie Rush Mysteries featuring a female 20-something L.A. bicycle cop. You also don't hear that every day. Her latest book, Iced in Paradise, features a new protagonist, Leilani Santiago, and just came out a couple months ago. In addition to her Edgar win, Naomi has been nominated for multiple Anthony and McCavity Awards, and the last Maserai novel in the series, Hiroshima Boy, was nominated for another Edgar. Naomi and her husband, Wes, make their home in Southern California. Welcome, Naomi Hirahara. Thank you for having me, Matt. I almost forgot to take you off mute, and I realized, so... I've done that before. Can you hear me now? <laughs> oh, yeah. So before we start, I, I wanted to mention the first time that I met you, and I think you may know this story. It was at the California Crime Writers Conference in Pasadena, and I think it was 2009. I'm pretty sure it was my first mystery conference. And we were hmm. both in the book room, and you were an Edgar Award winner, and I was a nobody, unpublished and unaged, unagented. And you asked me if I was a writer and how things were going, and that was my initiation into the family of mystery writers. And I knew at the time that I'd found somewhere I belonged, and I, if I hadn't already, I wanted to thank you for that. You're welcome. But you were already in a writing group, right? By that well, I was in a writer's group but down here in San Diego. But, of course, okay. uh, since then, you've stubbed me ever since, but I don't hold that against you. <laughs> and you've taken my money at the poker table, so That's we're right. even. <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't taken too many others. Okay, so this new book, Iced in Paradise, uh, tell us a little bit about it and about Leilani Santiago, and I love that name. Yes. Um, I guess, the, okay, the way I describe this new series, it's like little women in Hawaii with a dead body. <laughs> so it, it is purposely, it's about, it's actually a lot about family, which is kind of a reoccurring theme in a lot of my books. 
And it was meant more like a comfort. I know we write thrillers, so we're supposed to thrill people. But it was also kind of like a sal. Like, I don't know, these days, you know, our world is so tumultuous. It's so political. Everything's polarizing. And I, you know, and I had just finished a book about um, the last Masurai set in Hiroshima. And it was like, I want to go somewhere a little peaceful, you know. And in my mind, I am a native Californian, and in my mind, Hawaii was, you know, my happy place that I wanted to kind of go to, kind of lick my wounds, you know, just, but still, you know, write a mystery um, in that kind of setting. So that was um, the impetus for creating it. Um, I particularly like um, the island of Kauai. Um, it's, you know, the, the um, Green Isle, you know, it's the garden um, island. And it's green. It's not as, you know, touristy as the other islands. And I think I also wanted, I didn't want, I wanted to get um, some distance from any kind of high-tech type thing. I wanted it, you know, purposely to be kind of a slower place mm-hmm. to um, weave, you know, a story. Well, you, you call it your happy place, and of course Leilani is from Hawaii, and in the it's a book open. She's back there, but there is a early in the book she makes an internal comment about how she misses the gray overcast days of Seattle, and that struck a kindred spirit uh, chord in me. But what does it say about mm-hmm. Leilani? She's from this paradise of, of course, it rains in Hawaii, but sun yeah. and paradise and such, and but she misses not, um, that gray of Seattle. Yeah, so the way, um, so a couple, how Leilani came to be. I mean, one thing I wanted her to be of mixed heritage, and I had already, the bicycle cops already, she's, you know, uh, of Japanese ancestry, she's white, you know, European, white European descent. And then with Leilani, I added Filipino. So um, I kind of, I I, I think that mix of the mixed ethnicity of Hawaii you know, mm-hmm. so interesting, and it's so organic. You know, more people are mixed over there than probably not. So it was kind of um, fun to write that, as well as, and I wanted this, you know, in some ways it is a trope for a lot of traditional kind of cozy mysteries, like, the the uh, you know, many times it's a woman, a female. She mm-hmm. returns to her hometown, and it could be, in Europe, it could be a small town in England or whatever, or it could be, you know, wherever. And in this case, it is Hawaii. And and I wanted her not to be so happy about. And, you know, any person who lives in a in an island-type community, and I've, I've been writing a lot about islands for some reason, too. You know, many times um, people who, you know, they want something beyond that island life, and Leilani's searching. She's in her early 20s, and she, you know, went to school in Washington, the state of Washington, but didn't, you know, she dropped out. So she's not the success that she hoped to, and then her mother is diagnosed with, you know, MS, so now she has to go back to her town of Waimea in Kauai. Yeah, she she does go back to help out, but I guess there's a little bit of – of a little grudgingness, like I was trying to start my own life here, and now I kind of feel, she's very responsible, obviously. Yeah, she's the eldest of four four girls, and I think some of it too is um, 
you know, in although she's on her own in Seattle, she gets these panic panic attacks over there. She gets anxiety. So it's like she wants that life, but there's something that she has to deal with internally because it it hasn't been always that easy for her in Seattle either. So she's trying to, you know, just find herself. Where where can she be herself? You know, in all ways. And um so that's her internal search, you know, and she doesn't think she can do it at home. Um, and also her family owns, like, a shave ice um, stand, so that's the business. So, again, with a lot of these traditional mysteries, there's some kind of, you know, um, establishment, some kind of restaurant, cafe, and here we have a shave ice stand. And it's a place where everybody can, you know, it's um, low-skill work, so, you know, many people in the family can help out with it as well. And they pretty much do. So uh, shave ice makes me think of uh, other things in the book is that you really like this, the difference between shave ice and shaved ice are called that way. I didn't, I had no idea. Of course, being a Holly, I would call it shaved ice. Um, <laughs> but you really get a sense of the Hawaiian life and culture when you read the book complete with the uh, pigeon Hawaiian. And mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was wondering what kind of research you had to do for that and how you how you would pick your spots on um, mm-hmm. using, say, the, the Pigeon Hawaiian. Yeah, that that's like the most dangerous part of the book <laughs> <laughs> as a writer. But right. I guess that's part of my wheelhouse. You know, with the Maserai um, books, he was speaking in dialect. It's something I'm, I've been fascinated with ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I read as a child a lot of books set in the South, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved that Southern cadence. And I would actually write, like, little stories. And, you know, I never stepped foot in the South, but I would try to emulate it. I, I would try to dissect it. And I think it's because I lived in a bilingual household. And, you know, there's this to- a term called code, sw- code switching. So depending on who you're talking to, you switch your code, you know. And um, I had to do do that as a child. So it made, made me very observant of words and, you know, those kind of things. And I, I, I don't know why. I just love that. So, um, and I had gone to college with a lot of people from Hawaii. And, um, and you know, there's a, a big Japanese-American population in Hawaii as well. So, you know, in California, you see it in San Diego, too, you know, there's so much overlap, you know, and, and culturally, like, Californians, they kind of took, like, surfing from Hawaii, right, and brought it over and made yeah. it more commercial here. So, you know, there's kind of these <laughs> interesting relationships between the two regions, but, you know, you could find a lot of Hawaii here. But um, I did have, you know, when I kind of announced, because I am pretty active on social media, and one of my loyal readers who's in Hawaii, you know, she was really worried for me, you know. So she sent me all these messages, you know, like kind of schooling me on Hawaii. She said, so many, main, you know, mainland people, they mess up the pigeon and da-da-da-da-da. So we were going back and forth, and she was recommending these people to read, and they just, like, there's one writer named Loisan Yamanaka, and I love her work. And I said, oh, no, you know, I'm aware of those kind of things, but please keep telling me. And finally, I, it dawned on me, I, I need this woman to read my manuscript. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, she, you know, and I said, I'll pay you, you know. Please read it over and give me your feedback. I had two readers from Hawaii to read wow. it over. And um, one was a librarian. And it was so funny because she went to Punahou, you know, which is kind of yeah. like the elite school. And and then she didn't find much wrong because she she hardly uses pigeon herself. <laughs> she goes, Neil, no. I'm usually around, you know, Haoli's. I'm usually around white people. <laughs> you know, uh, although she was Chinese-American, she goes, I, I don't really know. But this other woman, you know, took she really gave me a lot of good feedback. And I was kind of studying it, you know, looking at the Hawaiian Dictionary. And, you know, look, there's a lot of different Internet sources. And and I'm sure what what's tricky is each island has its own um, pigeon. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I I think that, you know, my the pigeon that I use is more kind of like a main, like probably the, you know, Oahu kind of pigeon. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm sure someone will take me to task for that. But it's, it's a learning process, you know, and I'm, I with each book, I'm planning to have at least three in the series, you know. I oh, hope cool. to, to, you know, get deeper and learn more. So you're waiting for those uh, nasty letters from Kauai about your uh, pigeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in, in the course of um, what, what's really exciting for me personally is that I'm starting to see more people actually from Hawaii who are writing mysteries. And oh, wow. um, I came across a, a guy. His debut mystery is on its way. His name is Scott Kikawa. Um, and he is in Oahu, but he's written this really wonderful mystery called Kona Winds that's set in um, uh, Oahu, but in the 50s, when um, 1950s, mm. when Hawaii was still a territory. So mm. it hadn't, you know, it's not yet a state. And that particular period of time hasn't really, you know, you don't read about that much So in any no. kind of literature. Yeah. And it's really fun, yeah. So, he, so we've we've kind of and it's a mystery, so we've struck up um, an online friendship, and he he's going to be at Left Coast Crime, San Diego, oh, cool. and so hopefully yeah we'll be on a panel together. I hope yeah I've suggested it, so we'll see. Cool. By the way, I went I uh, roomed one year when I was at UC Santa Barbara with a a, a kid from Punahou, Punahou High. Went to Punahou oh okay. High. Yeah, yep. It was a white guy. That's... Yeah. He was very yeah. much. Uh, the Mahalo spirit. Um, so, by the way, Angus uh, has left the room. He was hanging out for a while, but he left the room. He, he said, "This is not interesting." Yeah, I, think, I, think to, I think he has to take a leave, but he has to hold it for about twenty minutes. Um, yeah, my so, dog is just staring at me at the on top of the stairs. Oh, stare. <laughs> Yeah, Angus has been giving me heavy stares lately. He's really been working me, and uh, it bothers me. <laughs> okay, so it's often said, and I kind of alluded to this in the, the bio, that everything in fiction has already been written before. But mm-hmm. you proved that old adage wrong when you wrote uh, The Summer of the Big Bacchae, and I probably pronounced that wrong. Bachi. And introduced, Bachi. Bachi. Yeah. And introduced yeah. Uh-huh. Makarai, a Japanese-American uh-huh. gardener who was, as we said, a Hiroshima survivor. So I, I, you know, people that know you and know your history or your bio rather know who the inspiration yeah. was for Moss. But why don't you tell our listeners? Yeah. So basically, it was inspired by my late father, who was alive at the time when I. Uh, I didn't know your father died. To... Sorry to hear that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's been like seven years. It's a real oh. bummer. It was, yeah, so I had to finish the series when he had already passed. Mm. So the, um, I think Strawberry Yellow must have been my fifth, I think it was my fifth mystery. But that was the year he had passed away, and I was writing this, continuing the series. So that was very difficult, but it was, um, a pleasure. I mean, in some ways, to like keep this person who you love so much alive in the in the work. You know, even though it's not exactly him, but inspired sure. by him. So it was kind of a gift at the same time. But yeah. So I mean, my father had. You know, I at least for my book so far. Um, that might change in the future. But I, I'm really attracted to writing about like these ordinary people that have like these hidden amazing lives that no one talks about and again i think it's my own personal experience you know my father was a blue collar worker you know and you don't really see that you know talked about especially with like an asian american manual worker right everyone's like a doctor or professional and and that's not um a balanced portrayal of you know what the kind of work people actually have done or do. So, um, yeah, it was a, it, it's like an homage to um, this generation of men and women who, you know, tilled the soil. You know, especially here out in the West Coast, it's more of a phenom- phenomenon than other places. And um, I just thought it'd be, you know, I, um, Matt, I, I labored on that book for like 15 years. It wasn't a mystery in the beginning. It morphed into, you know, um, our genre, and it was like the perfect container. You know, I just love our community. I love our genre because it really, um, I I like that we can create like series characters and that Mm -hmm. people can get attached to our characters, right? Like, you probably feel the same way about Rick Cahill. But, you know, um, I'm working on a standalone now, but I I do love kind of that series, um, the series stories. And it's been wonderful to develop Moss. So he went, he was developed over seven books. So, and, um, yeah. so it's you said you, I believe you said fifteen years to to get to get to be published and, and it changed yes. over the. Did your father know? Um, well, when you started writing it, was it the, was the Moss character in it? And at some period as you're writing it, did your father become aware that you're writing a character inspired by him? Um, he he knew I was working on a character like him. He was. He's kind of goofy in that sense. He wasn't like Moss. He's kind of a go- he was a goofy person, you know. And I'm sure in the back of my mind, in back of their minds, my parents didn't think, even though they would bug me when my book was going to get published. <laughs> probably they also thought this is never going to be published. <laughs> so their so their worst nightmare was I got a publishing deal. You know, because this kind of character really hasn't been in books, you know, before. So, and and since some of it I've taken from my, especially in my father's life, some of some from our family's life. Um, you know, they were concerned, like, what are what's every, you know, it's it's not like what the Joneses are going to think. It's like, 
what are the Yamatos going to think? You know, they're going to think this is us, you know, this is going to ruin our lives. But um, I told them, I actually took them to a left coast crime in Monterey. This was a while back. Um, I think Walter Mosley was being honored. But I kind of wanted to, for my parents to see just like, okay, I'm trying to introduce our kind of hidden subculture to a larger readership, right? So, um, but they, yeah, my mother was like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to (laughs) do? And I just told them, you got to be tough, you know. I just told them that, and and that was, that kind of ended it, so... (laughs) Well, plus you, you, um, you know, Moss was portrayed carefully and lovingly. Um, I, I did. I, I, I'm gonna. I don't like to. I generally don't talk about myself, but just that made me think of something. When I, my Rick Cahill's father, um, books I write. His father had the legend was he was a disgraced ex cop, mm-hmm. and he's dead before the books open. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I gave him, I gave him a name like at some point when I'm writing, the, I think the second book, I can't remember. And I called him Charlie, and my my father's name was Charlie, and I didn't even connect. I didn't mm-hmm. even connect the name of my father that I as I wrote gave this guy's because it it flowed well, Charlie mm-hmm. Cahill. I didn't even connect mm-hmm. the two, and, and my father never mentioned anything about him anyway. It's just funny because because he well, never this does is funny. My my dad, uh, my dad's nickname was Sam. Mm-hmm. So. Sam and then Moss, you turn the letters. Right. I didn't do that consciously. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, so I think, you know, and Moss is a very common um, nickname for Japanese Americans, and, you know, Moss also means more in Spanish, so it has that right. double meaning there. But, yeah, I think a lot, we don't, we're not conscious of what we're doing, you know, but of right. course we're going to lift things from it. See, this is why it is good to be older. <laughs> and writing. No, we did. No, seriously, we have more life experiences well, I to bring in. I mean, you know, I, we're not as sexy, right? Well, <laughs> but <yourself>. um, <laughs> in terms of like uh, the media, maybe picking this up. But I, I think um, I think that is a, a total, and I think that's why people should have wide experiences. You know, as as they age, if you're a creative person, if you're a writer, because it, it's so important. And I, I know I get inspired when I'm in a different situation than I'm used to, you know, and that kind of triggers something in my mind as well. I've, I've often lamented, because I didn't start writing um, seriously until I was 43, I think, and I've often mm-hmm. lamented that I, that I didn't start earlier because I figured I'd have a few more books published, but but your point is so, and I think about your point being that oh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any life experiences to to talk about. Not that I do necessarily now, but as you get older, you feel lost from married, you know, loss of members of your family, loss of, you mm-hmm. know, loss of life and such like that. So, mm-hmm. which of course, which are real emotions, and you can portray them in whatever you're writing in. But um, I still wish I would have started about ten years earlier. So obviously. Um, it was. I'm guessing it was for many reasons now because I, I I actually think I did know your father had passed, but I'd forgotten it. But it must have been mm-hmm. difficult to put a final period on Moss with his last book, which was uh, nominated for Neger, Hiroshima Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think what was harder was that book that I was writing the year he had passed. But with this last one, it was actually. Um, 
Um, it it didn't. I I didn't feel a, a huge sense of loss when I wrote it. I don't know how why why, but maybe because I said it in a different country, um, Japan. You know, Hiroshima. So right. just that challenge of a different. You know, I had said it in different places outside of LA. There's one in New York, one in Watsonville, California. But um, I think that challenge of taking your mystery to a different place, um, uh, like a a foreign country, that, that was exhilarating. And it was, it's just, it's also nerve wracking. I mean, I really think as writers, we need to push ourselves I mean, it's mm-hmm. even like writing pigeon when you're not Native Hawaiian or, you know, not from Hawaii. Right. You know, these are challenges for it. We may totally fail, right? <laughs> but we have, to, if we're kind of attracted or curious to maybe go into that direction, I, I think it's incumbent on us to try it, you know. So what was tough for me in Japan, it's not like they have Sisters in Crime or Mystery Writers yeah. in America or they have a... Uh, you know, ride-alongs with the police, you know, um, yeah. the Japanese are, the police, they're not that open, you know. So it's like, how the hell am I going to write something that's informed, you know, about, I know Japanese culture to some degree from my relatives, but how, how do I write about cops and things like that? Yeah. You know, I, I did talk to a journalist who um do the crime beat and things like that and then but it, it that's why I said it in kind of like this remote it's not that room it's only 15 minutes away from the city but this kind of isolated island that has they don't have a police on the island I mean I had to write about detectives coming from the island but you know but it made more sense that Moss would be more of an integral part in solving the crime because you know, it was a place where there there wasn't police. I think for me to try to attempt to write something in Tokyo or you know Hiroshima, yeah. the city, that would be that would maybe be beyond you know uh, my ability unless I moved out there, you know, and and spent a long time. Well, again, I'm going to talk about myself briefly because you you hit a chord with me again. The book that. Just came out of, of my latest um, Lost Tomorrows. It's the first book I wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't take place in San Diego. It was just Santa Barbara. And, and to me, I mm-hmm. found that really difficult to write about a place that was 100 or 200 miles away. I can't imagine writing about a foreign country. But something else mm-hmm. you said about pushing yourselves and um, the book I just turned in really had to push myself. And um, because it was different from anything I'd ever had to, I've ever done. And it was, it's, not something I could envision on my own, really. Um, anyway, so and, and <laughs> I actually hated writing it the whole time, but um, mm-hmm. I think. How about um, reading it once you were done? Well, were always, you able to always get some distance. Well, always when I read, when I read the at the very end, because I'm I'm working with the writers group every week, and then I bring in mm-hmm. stuff that I almost want to apologize for because I think it's so bad. But then when mm-hmm. I read the full thing at the end, my first draft, I go, you know what? It's not as horrible as I thought. And then mm-hmm. revise, revise, make it into something worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. So when I when I was covering your your bio in the intro, I could still be talking if I, t- I talked about everything you've done and, and every, all your experiences. Mm-hmm. But one thing, you're a reporter and an editor for a newspaper, mm-hmm. 
and I'm mm-hmm. guessing that must have had a huge benefit or some benefit mm-hmm. for you when you started writing fiction. Mm-hmm. I think there, and you know, um, I used to read Writer's Digest um, religiously when I was a young, you know, like in my 20s. And Lawrence Block had a column there, which I loved. And um, his, one time he wrote, and it's all about writing, and one thing he says, you, these, you should get these kind of jobs. One job was an easy job that has nothing to do with writing. So you right. could, you know, just uh, when you're not working, you could just write. Another was a job where you get to meet all kinds of people that, especially for younger people, that all kinds of people you normally wouldn't meet. Mm-hmm. So that you're, you're just starting to um, enrich your bank of characters. And then the third one was something where you do writing, so at work, which kind of helps you as a writer. So I think with my job as a journalist, um, the second and third point um, were helped. Um, You know, in terms of writing, you know, journalistic writing is so different than writing a novel, but one thing, you get in the habit of not, you're not waiting for the muse to hit you. You have to just sit there. And then I think a lot of journalists are very good about deadlines, you know, or they're trained to be. So I think it's helped me in that. And also research. Um, And I think when I was a reporter, you know, I, we were located right next to Skid Row. Um, You know, there had been a record cold and a lot of homeless people had died on the streets. So, you know, on one hand, I was like going into these homeless shelters and talking to people. And then on the other side, you know, it was like a Korean dissident leader was in town and I went to interview. You know, it's the whole array, the the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, you know. So it was it was a, a great training ground. Um, but, you know, I've spoken to Den- Denise Hamilton, who was the L.A. Times reporter. The only downside about journalistic writing is um, – well, back then, you were supposed to be, you know, objective, right? <laughs> so you were, you were supposed to extract your own opinions. Although, you know, depending on how the reporter assembles their stories, you could kind of tell, mm-hmm. you know, they they are they do have some sort of opinion, but it, sure. it can't be overt back then. So so um, I think that's a big difference. Once you start doing fiction writing, you have to be subjective. You know, being objective is not fun. That's not interesting. That's not entertainment. You know, you need to have such a strong point of view. Yeah, you know, that's, so that's right. Fifty thousand feet. Um, so that I think that's that's hard for us to break through sometimes. You know, what to, to that to strong point of view. Oh, <laughs> I never had a problem with it. Um, of course, <laughs> I, never, I never was a newspaper reporter. So this kind of connects to the question I just asked you. Um, as I've noted on my, my show many times, many of our listeners are um, are writers in various stages of their careers, and they, mm-hmm. they like to hear about the nuts and bolts of writing. Um, mm-hmm. With that in mind, can you tell us a little bit about your process? And I'm guessing mm-hmm. you're kind of disciplined and structured from writing in a newspaper, but I could be wrong. I, I am. I, I'm very, I am disciplined, and I'm also – Doing this, I mean, I have other kinds of, you know, uh, freelance work that kind of go. It's like <laughs> goes in and out of my life, 
but I'm primarily, you know, a full-time writer. Mm-hmm. So I um so part of our household's income is dependent on how much money I bring in, right? So that's like the car- hard cold facts. I, I don't I don't teach at a college regularly, you know, I I have off and on. So I even plan, you know, a year I I usually plan a year ahead in terms of what I should be writing. Wow. And um yeah. So I know it it takes kind of all the f- magic out of it, but I kind of like I'm a planner and I realize that things change. You yeah. know, our industry has gone through so many changes. You know, but um yeah, but that that kind of helps me uh, keep sane, and that's why I watch the industry too. Like some some other people are, they're just in their cave and they don't think about you know what's going on. What's going on with Amazon? What's going on? You know, they don't really think about those kind of things. They could just you know retreat to or just devote all their time in their writing process. But I have one eye kind of looking around because I kind of have to. And um, I, I know I'm not really addressing your question of craft here, but um, and it kind of differs with every project. Um, I'm working on a standalone now. It's a historical set in 1944 Chicago. Wow. This is one of the first books um, I have heavily outlined. Um, okay. I you know I usually have a loose. I I, I get. Um, you know, I'm very visceral. I'm kind of girly. <laughs> you get like a journal, and it has on the cover. It evokes the theme of the book, and I I do stream of consciousness as I, you know, characters obviously are really important in my book. So, and and names names are so crucial. Sometimes mm-hmm. I can't really go forward until I find the right name for certain characters. Or they don't do what I want them to do with the wrong name. It's it's very weird. No, really. So, you know, I have to massage that all out. And usually I do that longhand in, like, a journal. Mm. Um, but with this book, I did a little of that. But I've been using Evernote. I, I know some people use Scrivener, but I've never tried that. But um, since I worked on a nonfiction book with my friend, she she's an Evernote person. And I've just kind of you know, outlined, you know, all my chapters for the novel that I'm working out, working on right now. And um, I don't know. I don't know why that happened, but it's really been helpful to me. And I think this book is a little more of a thriller than my other books. Hmm. So maybe in that sense, um, it's required me to have more, you know, hit certain plot points. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you jumped from, as far as I can tell, obviously Ice in Paradise you probably turned in a year ago. But so, did you, is there another Ice in Paradise that's coming out um, next year? Not Ice, but I mean um, Leilani. Yeah, I, I'm going to work on it after this standalone. I, I already have the concept down, and I've talked to the publisher about it. So I, I do have um, a, a general plot for the for the second Leilani Santiago book. But so I won't have any books out in 2020. I'll just be heavily writing um, that year. And mm-hmm. then I, it could be I might have two books out in 2020. Um, 
Yeah. So I'm guessing the standalone idea is something that's been percolating in your mind for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I'm I'm doing research right now on a book that may may not come out for you know many you know three years, four years. So um, I kind of balance. Yeah, on top of all the stuff I'm plan I'm doing, like outside of the things I've just mentioned. I've kind of started to do some research on another standalone historical. Wow. Uh, well, you are organized. Think ahead. I, I think that is the journalistic um, training, too, and probably my natural personality. But as an editor, you know, I can't just think about the issue that's coming out. This is a, when I was working there, it was a newspaper that came out six days a week. So you can't just think about the following issue, right? right. You got to mm. think about the in two days, or if you have a special graduation issue, wedding, you know, you right. have to balance all these things at one time. I think um, there was a playwright who called it the Lazy Susan method. She, she was very prolific. I think Lori Lori Susan Parks was her name, and then what she she explained like she devotes certain time for something. And then she takes the lazy suit, Susan, and moves it to the next thing, and then focuses on something else and moves it. So I think I sort of do the same thing. Like maybe, you know, one week, maybe three days will be this novel that I have to finish. You know, maybe, you know, half a day will be researching something else, or, you know. So that's kind of like the method I use. I know it's. It sounds crazy, but. Oh, but it works for you. I think of uh, one, the next sentence. That's about as far ahead as I can go. <laughs> so, we're five days away from a new year, even a new decade. Are mm-hmm. I'm guess I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm, are you someone who takes stock of the preceding year and makes resolutions for the coming one, or is January first just another day? I I do make some goals, yeah. And I, I've already kind of committed year? to something already, you know, for the, yeah. What was it? I think I even, you know, I write a blog that nobody reads, but I just, you know, it's on my website, but I just do it. It's oh, kind no, of I like had. my own little writing journal. Give us give us, give us, the name of the blog. Oh, no, it's just like, um, what is it? Hang, it it's just um, <laughs> Naomi, www.naomihirahara.com, and then it's like, Hang out with Naomi, you know, just hit hit it, and it's. And what I basically did was I took, I used to write an essay on um. On Facebook called Writing Wednesday, and I would write things about craft, you know. And then, at, at a certain point, it's like, why am I giving Facebook all this free content? So I just started moving the more popular ones to my blog, you know. So at least I would have a record, and th- and then I just moved everything to my blog, but. <laughs> but it's just mostly maybe for me. But I think I, I did write something. I think the three C's are my like contempl. What was it? Creativity, creativity, contemplation, and one other thing. But because it's going to be a writing year, you know, I'm going to be um, just just letting go of certain things um, and. Uh, not only regarding writing, but just, you know, um, other things as well. I can't remember what my last C was. I'll have to look it up. Concentration, <laughs> perhaps. 
Um, <laughs> so here's the most important question of the day for me. Did your enthusiasm for March Madness start while you were in college, I think at Stanford, or have you always been a college basketball fan? Um, I was always a basketball fan. You know, I played from sixth grade. Tell. <laughs> sixth grade, tell when? Had, um, you know, in, in, in my ethnic community, Japanese-American mm. basketball is very big. <laughs> so um, I was recruited by the Pasadena Bruins to play when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> and the Pasadena Bruins exist today. <laughs> That is great. And it it was an era where not many girls played basketball. I'm 57. So, you know, now it's commonplace. But so many of us, when we went to high school, because we understood the fundamentals, Mm -hmm. um, we even though, you know, I'm 410, (laughs) people can't see me, but I played on my high school. um, It was, I didn't play varsity, but I played uh, junior varsity at my Mm -hmm. high school. And I was, of course, the power. I mean, you know, I was uh, the point guard. Uh, yeah, I thought you were, you were going to say power forward. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was saying <laughs> some keyword. Yeah, point guard. Yeah. But I just, I love that game. You know, I'm a big fan. Um, my husband was the inf- You know, he is loves college basketball and baseball. So, um, you know, we've gone to our share. Oh, he especially likes Long Beach, Cal State Long Beach. So we've been going oh, to. Well, they have a good baseball team. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So. Um, dirt bags. Dirt bags, right? Yeah. So he's gone to a couple of Final Fours. Um, but you know, I what I love about college basketball, you know, that season, unfortunately. They're, they don't cover the same human interest stories that they used to, but I love the mm. stories of the players, the coaches, sure. you know, how they got to that, you know, everybody has like an interesting backstory. So. Well, now in the, ma- the major colleges, like even down to Duke, I mean, obviously Kansas and Kentucky, but even down to Duke is basically they get the they have the um, five-star recruits. They play a year, max two. And I know. The it's time to tell I their know. story. I know, well, so that's disappointing. That's really yeah. Watch out for uh, my gutty little San Diego State Aztecs. They're twelve and zero. They're ranked fifteenth in the country, and they can actually score this year as well as their normal defense. So they could make. We push. we've gone to some games there. It's a great. Oh, that's, pop- isn't that a great it? arena? It's a great arena. We yeah. went recently, actually. Well, we wanted to see Gonzaga play oh. because we wanted to see Hachimura. Mm-hmm. It was not a good game uh, for Gonzaga, and actually. The Aztecs beat them, but it was it was it was crazy. It was very crazy. It was, you know, yes. The mood there is really nice. Yeah, I like that place. I like that arena. Yeah. Well, I, we've already we're we're my uh, studio time's going to cut out in about two minutes. So we we did we've already. I was going to ask you what's next, but it's going to be possibly two books: historical um, Chicago yeah. crime story yeah. and the next Leilani book. But could possibly yeah. come out in twenty one. You're going to be writing probably both of them. Well, you yeah. did give your your website address, but where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Obviously, you're on Facebook. Right. Facebook. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but probably Facebook, my author page, and my, go to my website, uh, you know, com. That's right. And read the um, not-quite-sure titled uh, blog posts. <laughs> Hang out with me. Yeah, it's – yeah, whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, join me. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on my show. I wanted to have you on for okay. a while. Okay, happy I, new I, year. Exactly, happy new year. And I will see you at Left Coast Crime in, in March, if not before. Yes, Mr. Toastmaster. It should be fun. All right, take care and have a new year. Okay, bye-bye. All right, thanks everybody for listening. I'm still finalizing the details for my next show, which should be on January 17th. Um, also, as always, if you're in a book club and would like an author to answer questions and talk about his work, I love to do it. You can find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com. And Happy New Year. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the authors on the air.
call will be answered by the next available patient service representative.
I think we have the wrong medications. I just got a message from my scripts, and I think it's not what I'm supposed to be getting. Um, and it was for which medication? Well, it's supposed to be Nexium or the generic, whatever it is. It's uh, E S O M E P R A Z O L E. And I got a message about um, Econazole nitrate cream. That it oh, okay. Prove. So, yeah. It was a Nexium, was what we were waiting for. Let me pull it up here. Oh, so you're, you actually are waiting for that. She did put that through. Not for the Nexium. Okay. But she put through the other one. I'm not yeah, the other one, I think she just misunderstood what I was trying to say. Oh, okay. So I do see the one for Nexium. I will go ahead and see if we can get that one sent um, today for you. It's, you're completely out of the medication, correct? I will be in a couple of days, yeah. You'll be in a couple of days. Okay. Yeah. I'll put in a request and see if we can get sent in today. All right, appreciate that. And I'll just let this other one lapse, I guess, because I don't really know. Oh, yeah, no, no problem. I'll make sure that we get it done. Okay, thank you.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.